Welcome to Defining Endurance, a podcast focused on providing actionable insights for endurance athletes. Whether you're an athlete just getting started in endurance sports or a veteran looking to gain an edge, the Defining Endurance podcast is here to ask curious questions with athletes and fitness professionals, and most importantly, dive deep on current training topics so you can become the best version of yourself. Let us wait no longer. Let's dive into this week's episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Defining Endurance podcast. I'm Coach Andrew Simmons, head running coach at Lifelong Endurance. And I'm Coach Lexi Miller. And uh, today we're going to talk all about pacing and crewing for ultras. Yeah, so we've talked a bit about racing ultras in some other episodes. Uh, they've come up and we'll probably do one that is just fully centered on trail running, ultras and that whole world. But something that a lot of athletes come across is when their friends, teammates, uh, spouses ask them to crew or pace for them. How do you handle that in your training season? And how do you go about being the perfect crew or pacer? Uh, both Andrew and I have had quite a bit of experience working with athletes, friends, um, or just complete strangers in, in the ultra running world. Um, and so we'd like to share some of our experience, both anecdotal and then also on the side as a coach. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, for me as a coach, it's it's one of my favorite parts of, of the job is when I get to go watch the athlete. I think, um, you know, most of the time when we see our athletes, we're on the sidelines um, and we're experiencing kind of what's happening in a, in a small snippet as they pass by and you're looking at them going, oh, I hope they're feeling okay. I hope, I, I hope it's going well. It looks like they're, it, it's really hard out there for them. And then when you crew an ultra, you get to know everything that's going on and it's a, it's a whole open book. Um, and I think some of my favorite stories as a coach have definitely come from, you know, crewing ultras, um, across the board. So this is a super fun topic I'm excited to talk about. Yeah. And ultra season's coming up. So pretty pertinent as well. Yeah. So the first thing is what exactly is a crew and a pacer? Uh, it can look a lot of different mm. ways depending on the distance of the race. Um, and a lot of races don't even allow them. So, We'll start off with crew. What is kind of the main role of a crew in an ultra? Yeah, I think, you know, the the number one thing is support. You know, you are there in support of the athlete, whether you're physically, you know, um, you know, in the race. I think that's more where the pacer falls into it, is that the pacer is actually going out and uh, helping that athlete. But the crew is kind of hopping from aid station to aid station. Um, and I think for any relevant examples, we can kind of consider a hundred mile race, um, might have five to six aid stations, if not more. Um, and so, you know, a crew is going to just kind of follow that athlete, um, you know, throughout, uh, that entire race and it, they're carrying along extra clothes, food that the athlete, you know, might want specific, you know, hydration or, um, you know, another hydration vest. Um, and we see this a lot, um, you know, for the, for the bigger races, um, you'll see that there it's about speed. It's about getting through those aid stations as fast as possible. Um, but it's, it's also kind of like a moving party, uh, depending on the, on the race as well. So anything to add there, Lexi? Yeah, I'd say crew is a lot of times kind of working on the logistics. Um, so the runner might be the most planned out person. However, when you're, you're in the middle of an ultra, your brain's just not working how you want it to. Um, so they're kind of making sure that you have everything 
lined up for that next section you're going to be running. And we think of them as being in ultras, but really a lot of trail races, even some trail marathons, you might have a crewer. Um, I'd say they really, you know, are more essential in kind of that 50 miles and above, um, you know, reminding you to change shoes, reminding you to change socks, reminding you to refill your pack. Um, and yeah, we think of them being kind of efficient and getting you through the aid station, but again, that's going to vary, you know, ability level to ability level. Um, if you're in it to win it, it might be a little bit more of the, just getting you out. If it's your very first hundred, it might be a little bit more of that emotional support. So we'll kind of dive into that too. Yeah. I see it happening. You know, that, that crew can sometimes be many people. Sometimes it's one very devoted and loving significant other, uh, that, that kind of helps you get through it. Um, cause they're going to know best of what you want. But I think the other thing here is, um, the psychological part of it, you know, that if you're sitting in the chair at mile 70 of a hundred mile race, you're like, I, I can't do another 30 miles. They're the people that kind of have to scoop you up out of that chair and get you back on the trail because they know you can do it. You need that, you know, that, that push out of the aid station and also turn you back around when you come back into the aid station. Cause you think you can't do it. Um, so that's, uh, that's crew to me. Yeah. Um, and so then we'll kind of go into pacing. And so we, Again, pacing can look a lot of different ways. Um, so what's kind of the difference between a marathon pacer and an ultra pacer? You know, I think by majority, um, you know, you're going to see more ultra pacers than you are going to see a, a marathon pacer. Um, you know, for, for the marathon, uh, you know, maybe someone that hops in the last six miles, if they're allowed. Um, as I said, you don't see them too much in terms of the marathon. Um, you know, personally, um, I've really only ever crewed um, 100K to 200 mile races. Um, and by majority, you don't see that you can pick up your pacer in most 100 mile races until at least about halfway. Um, and these are usually uh, kind of the flatter races. You may see it a little bit earlier um, for some of the more technical races. Uh, we're getting through 40 miles might take more than, you know, half a day or something like that. Um, just, just from a standpoint of it's, it's helpful to have that crew, uh, and that pacer at night, uh, more as a guide when, when you've been out there for so long. Yeah. So I think when we think of like marathons, we think of like those pace groups that you run right with them to kind of like stay, you know, you want to run a 330. So the pacer is literally setting the pace. For sure. When we get into ultras, it's a little bit less of an actual like setting the pace for you. Um, they might be more encouraging. Um, you Their know, I've guide. paced some kind of, yeah, I've paced some kind of confusing trails where it's the pacers kind of doing a little bit more of that route finding at night, making sure that we're finding the next blaze. Um, they might be making sure that the runner isn't giving up, that they are continuing to move, but they're not exactly like listing the splits and making sure that you're going to stay 100% on your goal. They might be aware of your goal time and moving you towards that, but their job is a little bit more reminding you to eat, reminding you to drink, reminding you to keep moving and and keep keep positive as much as you can. Yeah, I think that's the hardest part of, you know, crewing um, and, and being a, sorry, being a pacer um, as compared to that of a marathon, you know, pacing an ultra, um, you have to be upbeat, you have to be encouraging, you kind of have to be that shiny, happy person uh, in some ways, um, but also in other ways, you got to know when to shut up. Like, you know, sometimes, uh, and I've been with this plenty of times with athletes where it's just like, they don't want to talk they're in a dark spot and you're just there to say, Hey, 
you need to eat, you need to drink, and you might not say a word to them for an hour. And you are just there to be in front of them on a climb or be behind them on a downhill. Um, but if you're asking them how they're feeling every 15 minutes, they're going to want to drop you. Um, and that's a whole nother problem. But by comparison to like going out and running a marathon, the whole goal is like, we got to nail seven fifteens and, you know, my job having, you know, paced many, many marathons, um, has always been to, you know, go grab cups of water ahead at the aid station, grab a handful of goos and make sure that my little flock of people that are, that are with me have what they need. And so it's kind of that on a micro level, when you take it onto the trail for a much longer race, uh, it's just checking in with, with more of the whole person. I'm not asking someone in the middle of a marathon, how their feet feel. I'm not asking them if they want me to massage their calves right now and pull off the trail for a little bit. That's, that's not happening. Um, but when you're crewing for an ultra, there's a lot of things you're not gonna, that you didn't think you'd probably end up doing that you would do. Oh, for sure. Uh, I think we could probably both tell ridiculous <laughs> stories of like things you found yourself doing as a crew or a pacer. Uh, sometimes not even for your athlete. Um, yeah. But, you know, we've we've all been there. Um, so I think this kind of dives into, you know, talk. you talked about the positivity, but what are some good attributes of a pace or crew member? So I think for this, we'll kind of think of a scenario. You've just been asked to, well, kind of stick with the 100 mile or because I think that's the most common thing we're asked to crew for. Um, one of the most popular races right now. Yeah. So your friend just asked you to pace and crew for them at their, at their upcoming hundred. What are some good attributes? You know, I think trust is super important. I think, um, I also look a lot at, um, you need someone that's going to give you the shirt off your back. Literally. Um, I think back to, um, you know, I remember back, I think it was 2018, uh, 2019 Leadville 100. Um, and a, a close friend of mine was pacing an athlete, um, up and over Hope Pass. And, you know, the athlete thought they were going to be totally fine and didn't need their headlamp. Um, and you know, the pacer had their headlamp with them the whole time. They were totally fine. And, um, <laughs> funny enough, they went really slow. And, um, so the, 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 the pacer gave the headlamp, uh, to the athlete and, um, the athlete had to descend to hope pass by iPhone light, uh, by iPhone flashlight, which if anybody has ever done hope pass, let alone hope pass at night, not a fun way to descend, uh, in, in, into that aid station. Uh, but luckily, you know, the athlete didn't trip, didn't fall. They had what they needed. Um, but I think that's the number one thing that comes to, um, you know, pacing is that you've, you've got to have somebody that's truly invested in your success. Um, it doesn't mean they have to be the fittest person in the world. They just got to be someone that you trust. They've got to be someone that's, um, you know, going to give you the realities of what, what's happening and not try to sugarcoat it. Um, there, there does need to be some white lies that happen, uh, when, when you're, when you're pacing and tell them they look great when they look completely awful. Um, but beyond that, it's, it's, it's that trust factor. That's number one. Yeah. I think trust is huge. Um, the other thing I would say is just kind of, um, an awareness of your own skills. So some totally. people are going to be really positive. They're going to be that cheerleader. Who's going to be like getting you to that next section. If that's who you are, like stick with it your friend probably chose you for that reason. If that's not who you are, like, don't, don't force it because that's probably not what 
you know, that athlete is looking for. Uh, if you're kind of that more blunt, like get moving sort of person, um, for me, I, I can be a little bit more quiet. So I try to just kind of hone in on like reminding them to eat and drink, reminding them what they need, like kind of following the athlete's lead. Um, and I think that's where I have been successful. If I were to come in and be like really overly enthusiastic and positive, that might kind of throw off the athlete because that's not really what they chose. Um, so knowing your strengths, leaning into your strengths, um, and then kind of, again, with that, you know, um, making sure, you know, being someone that that athlete trusts, um, have being prepared, having lots of extra stuff in your bag. Um, I've paced with some pretty heavy packs because it's, I had a couple of headlamps. I had a couple of battery packs. I had a couple of jackets. Um, you know, some races don't allow muling, but you can also kind of take the athletes extra layers and toss them in your pack. Um, I've just gone through a person's pack and like started taking out things that they didn't need and putting them into mine as we were running. It's not technically muling cause they didn't need it, but you're getting weight away from them and, and making sure yeah. that they're, they're going to move as efficiently as possible. And for those that don't know what muling is, muling is if you were to take your athlete's full pack and they were going to run with nothing. Um, and you as the pacer are taking all of their gear, um, you know, they're handing back their poles, everything, um, you know, when they don't need it. And you're basically there to do the grunt work of, you know, r- running with all of the heavy, heavy gear. Um, and, and I think, you know, when we really think about pacing, it's, it's there to be kind of a safety net for the athlete as well. Um, I mean, that's, that's hugely important, uh, especially in the later hours of a race deep into the night. Um, you know, when I've crewed 200 mile races, I mean, we're, we're, we're working through a level of sleep deprivation that you're just not going to see. Um, we're talking multiple, multiple days of racing, um, at a pretty high output, you know, 15 minute miles for 60, 70 hours, you know, or longer, that's, that's hard work. Um, and so, you know, being able to make sure that that athlete's safe and that if we do need to stop and take a dirt nap for 10, 15 minutes, my job is to also not fall asleep um, not wake them up, but I have to be that timer. I'm also the one that has to do like, Oh man, they probably feel really good right now. I've got to be the one that gets them up, gets them moving again and, you know, keeps the spirits high. And so as a, as a pacer myself, you know, I tend to be a little bit more on the, the upbeat side, but I think the other, you know, what makes a good pacer is someone that can read the room, someone that can read what's going on and know that person well enough. And I think one of the things that I learned, um, watching, you know, first time pacer, uh, for someone, uh, at both a hundred mile and a 200 mile race. Um, and this is, these are my friends, Gonzo and Blake, um, you know, Gonzo and Blake got together and actually did some runs beforehand. They, they had dinner a couple times beforehand just to get to know each other because it's, it, you have to know someone at enough of a level that there's a, a, that, that bond of trust. Um, but at the very same time, the opposite has happened as well. Um, one of my close friends, uh, one of my wife's bridesmaids, um, Tally has come with us, uh, to crew Leadville many times and she would just sit at one of the aid stations and she would angel pace. And for those that don't know what angel pacing is, uh, you may have somebody that's coming through an aid station, uh, and they were intending to do that hundred miles completely solo. Um, and you just pick somebody up. Someone's coming through and they're like, I don't have a crew. I don't have anybody. And you're like, cool. Can I join you for 20 miles? And it's, it's changed people's entire races to be able to have somebody just to 
um, you know, to, to run with and have a pacer um, and just someone to look out for you. Um, so, you know, there's, there's definitely many blends of people, um, but it should be the people that you train with. It should be the people that have known what you've had to work through and what this race means to you. I don't think anybody runs a hundred mile race without a purpose. Um, very few people run them just for, for fun. There's usually something that they are, you know, working through mentally, emotionally, or physically, um, to get through that process. So they, you need to know them on a, on a pretty high level. Right. And I mean, and I've, I've paced someone that I met that day, um, where it was her, her pacers weren't able to make it. One of them knew me. So it wasn't like, they were just like, Hey, you, you just finished Leadville a few weeks ago. You can run part of a hundred. Um, and so yeah. I tell, tell the, tell the people how much you actually ended up running. Uh, the last 55 miles of run rabbit run. Uh, so you, you basically did your own ultra. Yeah, it was, but it was supplemented by another person. It was like a free ultra. Like you're just like, oh hey, people pay lots of money for this, and I just got a free one. Um, but it was, you know, even though I didn't know her, I think that it's things you can kind of pick up on. Where it was like, I kind of picked up that she was someone who liked country music, and I was like, what do you know? I have '90s country on my Spotify, but for whatever reason, who knows why it was there. Uh, because that's not what I jam out to. Uh, so it was like playing that in the middle of the night. It was like, you know, asking, you know, it's like, oh, asking her questions isn't really where her brain is right now. Can I tell a little story? Uh, that's kind of whatever. I'll just tell like a little joke here and there. Um, you know, it's you kind of like you said, read the room. So it's ideal if you can train with a person. Yeah. And I, if anybody that knows me, I can talk people to death. I think that's probably my best pacing, uh, you know, strategy is like, I can talk to somebody, I can tell people stories for hours about whatever, but it is, it's a great time to get to know somebody as well. Um, you may hear people, you know, you may hear some stories that you may never hear from them because you're out on the trail. Um, so all that said, um, I think really when it, when it comes down to it is, you know, don't just go in blindly and just choose some, a couple of friends that might be kind of athletic. It's nice if they've got some experience, right? It helps. It does. Um, yeah. I think the first time you pay someone, you look back later and you're like, oh my gosh, like I was as much of a mess as them. Um, and you get better over time. Um, yeah. so, okay. So now for a crew, what are some good attributes of a crew member? I think as a crew member, the number one thing you've got to be able to do is change somebody's socks. <laughs> Joke, jokes aside, but you, you have to kind of be able and be willing to, um, you know, be that person's hands and feet. Like you need to be able to kind of operate in a space where you have to handle what's happening right in front of you. It's it's almost like I've always viewed crewing as the like F1 pit stop. Like you're going to come in and you know, hopefully you've done some planning ahead. Um, I know that for my athletes that are racing a hundred miles, even some of the mountain hundred Ks, we have an entire like spreadsheet of like, here's what we've planned. We've got baggies set up in advance of like, all right, we're, we're planning for between 400 and 600 calories between this aid station and the next aid station. That's already been planned out. And when they're coming in, you know, you're asking them like, Hey, 
you, you didn't eat enough calories last time. You know, you've got to eat this, this, uh, you know, between these next two aid stations and you didn't empty your other bottle. And that's when you start to see an athlete deteriorate. And this is when you kind of have to be able to have a abrupt talk with them that if they really want to hit their goal, these are the things they have to do. Um, and that's where it's like, you have to move from that friend space of like shiny, happy people to like, not quite drill sergeant, but you got to tell them to get their stuff together. Um, and that's where I think that crew has to be able to operate is you have to be able to know them at that level, but also that they need to be people that are detail oriented. You don't want to come in and, you know, you might be coming in ahead of time, having a really good day. Um, and you might surprise them. And if they're not ready, it's chaos. And, you know, if it's not planned, um, it's, it's no good. I remember many times sitting in Winfield and have an athlete come in ahead of time. Um, when I paced Addie, um, you know, she, she came in right with cat and like, we were trying to get in, get out as fast as we could. So, you know, she was theragunning her legs while everything is happening around her. It's kind of this, uh, you know, kind of like a, you know, a, a ball of fish. If you can imagine, there's five or six people that are like, I'm going to go fill her water bottles or we're, you know, we're just plopping a vest on her ready to go so she can move as fast as she can. Um, so that's, that's where I think, you know, that's, what's important about a crew is that you can't, there's, there's going to be things that are gross. Hey, can you pop this blister on my toe? Um, you know, can you lance this huge blood blister on my heel? Yeah. Those are the things you have to do. You have to be first aid. You've got to be, you know, the, the concierge, you have to be the, the food person that's going to literally put food in their mouth. Um, you know, that's what a crew takes. That's really what a good crew takes. Um, I don't know about your experiences, you know, in, in crewing there, but I'm, I'm sure they're probably pretty similar. You know, it is just like you, you kind of have to be down in the dirt with them. Um, being extremely organized, you know, again, going through that athlete's pack, making sure they're not carrying anything excessive. Cause I think that's something we tend to do is like, we throw our headlamp in there, we throw whatever, uh, extra snacks that sounded good at the last aid station and that pack can get pretty heavy. Um, so, you know, kind of taking as much thought away from the runner as you can and, and, uh, letting them just rest during that, like two minutes or at that aid station and organizing everything around them. What are the most difficult parts of crewing and pacing? Um, the first thing I'll bring up a lot of times, ultras are remote and you're not going to be able to depend on your, your Google maps to get where you need to be. Um, a lot of races will give you written directions, but you really have to be on it. Um, you, I like, if you're able to, to drive out to places ahead of time, that's ideal. That's not always realistic. Um, so it's just, you know, yeah. really budgeting that time. Uh, yeah, I think the number one the the number one hardest thing is patience. You are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. You know, there's this like hurry up and wait kind of mentality that comes with with crewing where you're getting there and if your athlete falls behind, you know, you could be waiting an extra hour or 2 hours if they had to walk, if they hit a significant low point, you will always feel like you missed them. Um and in that note to uh, those that are, were following along, Kevin's first Bigfoot 200, he waited in the first aid station where he could pick up a, a pacer for almost an hour because we didn't realize that 50 miles required us to go around Mount St. Helens. And it was actually 120 miles because the road that we thought it was going to be was a four-wheel drive road. So Kevin waited. 
And he just ate the whole time he was there. And we, we've kind of concluded that that was one of the things that helped him have such a great first 200 is he was really patient. He waited, but there was no way we could communicate that we were behind, that, you know, he should wait for us, any of that. Um, but patience is the number one, I think, hardest thing. Um, I think as the the pacer, the hardest part, um, if, if I was going to share is if you hit a low point, if you're having a rough time, uh, the last time I paced a 200, I ran 72 miles in, you know, less than 60 hours. And that's a lot for me. You know, that's, um, especially at that time I was getting ready for the Chicago marathon. I wasn't doing, I wasn't running this pace. Um, and I was, I was almost in a in worse spot than Kevin was <laughs> pacing him. Um, and that was kind of some shared misery. Um, so hopefully he gets a kick out of that. <laughs> Uh, no, I think, yeah, it's definitely, you know, um, a lot of patience taking care of yourself as a pacer. And that's something we kind of talked about when we wanted to do this episode is, uh, mistakes we've both made is like forgetting to eat yourself, um, because you're like grabbing plates of food for your athlete. Um, you know, I had one where I, I brought her a plate of food. I was like, eat whatever looks good. She did. I was walking back to the trash can and just like shoveling it in my face. I'm like, Oh, I'm really hungry. <laughs> I, I clearly haven't been like feeding myself during this time, because every time I was pulling out a snack, it was for her. Um, and so it's just making sure that you're, you're not going to be the burden on the athlete. Um, and that you're going to finish feeling okay. Uh, the other thing is just like, whether you're pacing or crewing, like it's just a weekend you don't sleep. Yep. Um, it's rough. Get used to pulling some all nighters, get used to, you know, you do need to be able to run at night. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, if you haven't been training, you know, when should you say no to, you know, a, a, a pacing job? Um, you know, when, when you're, you're pacing someone, you get dropped, you're, that athlete uh, has lost their gear. They've lost their headlamp. Uh, you know, if they, if, if they have it with you and sometimes you can put your, your position in a pretty tough position. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, I have learned I've twice paced over 50 miles and I've learned that I'm not the best pacer after like 37. Like it's, it's a little hard for me to kind of like stay as on top of it because that's when I'm going into my fatigue place. Um, especially, you know, I, I can't speak for the 200 when you're doing 60 hours and, um, back and forth, maybe you're getting some rest in between. I know when I'm running that much consistently, it's my body's just not recovering. So my brain's not recovering either. And it's, I'm there with the runner. I'm doing the best I can, but I'm not doing a whole lot better than them. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where I've started to set those limits is I'm like 37 is my, my cutoff for pacing. Um, you know, if you're coming back from an injury, if you haven't been running much, um, if it's, you know, it's okay to say no, and it'll probably end up helping the runner in, in the long run. Great one. Um, no, I, I think one of the, one of those pieces there is that if you, if you are questioning your fitness, you know, don't leave it until the last minute on an athlete. I think I've seen so many people that are like, I, you know, my, my, I, my crew has completely fallen apart. They can't make it this weekend or whatever it is. Um, sometimes you've all of a sudden become a crew member, um, you know, on an athlete's FKT attempt or, you know, other things like that, where it's like all of a sudden now, um, you're a part of it. But I think after you've crewed a few races, you kind of know what, 
what you need. Um, and I've kind of, uh, you know, I've kind of taken to an idea of having kind of my rock star planning list of like, okay, I know what I need. Here's, here's what I need to have provided to me if I'm going to crew. And it's not like I need, you know, a bowl of M&Ms in my green room. It's more like, Hey, I need to make sure that we've got some instant coffee. Cause that's something that's super important to me. And I've got a funky diet. So I need to make sure that we've got some food planned uh, because we're not going to go hop at the grocery store. And so it's, it's making sure that you as, you know, someone that's doing the crewing, that you are a self-sufficient person. Um, you know, you've got to be able to have those calories and, and otherwise you are asking the crew to crew you and the athlete, right? If you're someone that's coming into that circle. Um, so it's really also about not, not being a, a burden in a way uh, and being a fully self-sufficient person. I, if I show up to help somebody crew and it's a last minute thing, uh, it, it looks like the army's rolling in, like it's my whole truck. Um, but I, I got to be able to sleep in it. You know, all of those things, I need to be self-sufficient. Um, you know, and you want to be comfortable. Um, if I had a list of things that I take with me for sure, um, you know, one extra headlamp battery pack for my phone, um, some sort of caffeine, um, you know, that's, that's a, that's a must even for me. Um, and I always try to carry when I'm crewing for somebody, I carry their calorie needs plus about 20%. Um, one, if I end up needing some calories, it's okay. If I dip into the community pot there, um, I'm not going to put that athlete in a tough spot, but they might throw up everything, right? Which means they're going to need my water now. And they're probably going to need to refuel with a good majority of calories. Um, and so you need to be able to plan that contingency in there. Um, and that's where things can go wrong. That's some of the hard parts of pacing is that you may end up giving them all of your calories, right? And we talked about being that empathetic person. You have to be able to do that for their success. Cause I think, you know, if I wrote a book on this and the title of it would be, it's not about you. Um, right. And that's where you, as the, the, the person doing the crewing and being a pacer, it's not about how you feel. It's not about you. It's about giving it up to them. And I think that's something we can kind of chat a little bit about is that common pitfalls. Someone's like, oh yeah, well I have my own hundred coming up. So I'm going to pace my buddy for my long run. And that is just, I personally feel one of the worst mentalities to have in pacing because if you're going into it thinking about how this is your long run and this is your training day, you're not going to be focused on, on the runner and you're, you're not going to serve them. You're going to be, you know, pushing them to go too fast. You're going to be feeling frustrated that you're, you know, your miles are too slow, that this isn't really a good training run. Um, so while it can kind of serve as both really, you need to see it as two separate things. Um, yeah. You know, I've, paced at night. And then after the runner finished, went and did that second run I needed to do to, to, you know, feel like I got in my quote unquote miles. Um, but it's, it, it can't be a day that serves you. Yeah. So I'll ask you a question on this, Lexi, how do you handle when it all falls apart? Like what, what's, you know, if that athlete falls off pace and their plan was to do 1230s to 1330s, you know, give or take on average, we're hitting 1530s and 17 minute miles. Um, and we're really struggling. Quads are blown up. Um, but the stomach's hanging on, you know, where, where, where do you go? Like, what do you trust in to move them forward? Yeah. So I think one of the best pieces of advice someone gave me, it was when I was running an ultra, but it was something that I think I've used in pacing also 
is like, don't focus too much on pace and place because they're both going to change a ton, just like how you're going to feel is going to change a ton. Um, you know, again, using the example of a hundred miles, a lot can happen a hundred miles or 50 yeah. miles. Um, like you can feel a lot of different ways. So again, with my own pacing mentality, I'm not going to be someone who's going to be like, all right, you got to keep moving. Like, even if that person has a very definite goal, I think I try to approach it with a little bit more gentleness, like, okay, just, you know, setting my watch. So I'll buzz every 20 minutes and be like, Hey, I'm taking a sip of water. Can you take a sip of water? Um, can you eat just, you know, getting really honing in on that? Cause that could be a reason. Um, if they're slowing down and it seems all mental, just being like, cool, let's walk. Like, let's just keep walking. Um, if they're throwing up, you know, you, it sounds so heartless, but you can walk and throw up at the yeah. same time. I've done it. I've helped someone do it. Like you just kind of keep con consistent movement. Cause I think it's when you stop is when things really, really fall yeah. apart. Um, if they need to take a nap, like that 10 minute nap is, Everything. is clutch. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, this is the other little piece of advice I was given that I've always loved. Uh, both of my parents were ultra runners and they always said the second sunrise is when everything changes. So like, if you can just get that runner to the second sunrise, like, unless they're trying to finish in some crazy time. And then I guess that's, you know, hopefully by the time they're falling apart, they're going to be closest to the finish line. But if you, you know, when the sun starts to come up again on that second day of a hundred um, or 200, you know, that fourth day, is there the energy kind of starts to pick up again? It's just like um, once the dark's over, there's there's kind of that boost in in mentality. Um, but you know, I think that's where it's important to have multiple goals. You don't just go into a race saying like I'm going to you know run a sub twenty four. You might, and that'll be awesome. But you also might not, and you don't want to give up at that point. Yeah. So how yeah, I think, you know, I, I think you nailed it. I always tell athletes, like, let's go in with three goals, you know, where like a goal, B goal and C goal. And I always tell people to go with the B goal is their most likely. Um, whereas an A goal is like, Hey, we could have a good day. And always having that, that mentality of like, Hey, we're, we're, we're trending towards good day, like really good day pace versus like great goal. And like, C is something that you can be, you can be happy with and feel accomplished with. But you also have to kind of have that realistic view, like when is it not going to happen? And when are you going to stop talking about it not happening? You know, and that athlete's going to start to spiral down and they're going to start to, you know, get a little chaotic. Um, and you've got to kind of rein them back in and start to kind of move and say, yeah, you know what, we're off, but you know what? we got to finish this thing. We set out to do something. We're here. Let's see this all the way through. And I think that's such a different mentality. Um, cause a DNF, I think in, in the, in the terms of a hundred mile race is far different than, uh, you know, DNFing under a marathon. Um, you know, like usually, you know, you, you, we kind of take this tough son of a bitch mentality with, with ultras. It's like, you gotta be, you gotta be tough. Like you're not going to feel good right? After the halfway mark in most hundreds, it's about how do you mitigate the attrition, um, of, of that athlete. Um, but when they're, when they hit a tough spot, um, I think it's always going back to that reminder. If I'm coaching that athlete, I know why they're doing this. I tell them to go back into their training. I tell them to look back at the work that they've done to get here. And that's what we have to draw on. It's like, I'm like, you didn't go out and do, you know, three weekends in a row running at night to get ready for this and be in the middle of the night and give up, you know, you didn't lose sleep and, and, you know, wake up at 2am to go 
do a, a six hour run so you could, you know, fit this in with your family life. This is your, this is your shot. Let's do this. Let's, let's see this all the way through. Cause I've also seen low points where someone's like, I can't finish. And then 10 miles later, it's like, I'm fine again. You know, I threw up, I took a nap. I got some food back in me. I got warm. I'm good. I'm back into it. Yeah. And I think every ultra runner will tell you like that one food, that one experience that like brought them back totally. to life. Um, yeah, for me, it was, I was throwing up everything at the Leadville 100 and then golden Oreos were like the only thing I could put down. And I was like, all right, golden Oreos. Yeah. And it don't, didn't know that was a running nutrition food, but here we well, are. I think that's just it is that, um, you know, we, we have these strict structures that we try to put in place for ourselves as athletes. And, um, you know, I, I've seen it a million times that you have to eat when you're hungry, you have to eat with what looks good, um, when you're coming into an aid station, because that may be the only way that you're going to get fuel. Um, you know, I've seen athletes as gross as it sounds. I've seen them do a full hundred miles on gels because that's what works. I've seen it all done on liquid calories. And I've also seen the Seven Eleven trash can method where it's just like, oh, that's pizza. Going to eat it. Oh, that's a donut. Going to eat it. Um, and that's, that's what works. Um, I, I paced a guy through the stagecoach 100 and literally we bought three little Caesars pizzas three days beforehand and just let them sit out because it congeals is, and I know this sounds so gross. Um, but Hey, it's carbs. It's got a little bit of fat in the cheese and it's relatively edible and it's portable. I remember finishing that race, hanging up my jacket and then went to pick it up a couple months later to go wear it. And I still had a piece of that pizza and it hadn't changed. It still looked like it did when I put it in the pocket. But those are the, also the funny things that you don't realize is you'll clean up from a race and having been crude and you're like, oh, there's a piece of pizza in my pocket. Um, <laughs> so, you know. Yep. I've definitely put on that jacket, you know, the, you know, next time I went camping or something, I'm like, huh, all kinds of candy in here. wonder, <laughs> I was just sticking things in at the aid station. You're just shoving stuff sometimes into pockets everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, wet socks show up a week later when you decide to clean up the bag, there's a mystery smell, you know, it's, it's, it's like you do with your own fridge at home. It's like, find the smell. <laughs> yeah. So last yeah. question, uh, as a pacer, what are three things you must absolutely have in your bag? What are the, as a, as a pacer, what are my three, man, that's really good. I think I definitely have to have my cell phone. I mean, that's my music making device so I can sing badly. I think that's, that's, uh, that's the first and foremost thing. Um, I like to always carry that, uh, that athlete's favorite, like candy or sweet treat or whatever it is with me. Um, that's, that's probably number two. Um, and then I think the third thing here is a disposable small bag, the mini bag of wet wipes. Cause you never, never know, um, <laughs> when you're going to want some wet wipes, whether it's just to wipe your face and to take a shower. We've all taken a, if you've crewed, you have taken a wet nap shower and you can't deny it. Um, but also things get messy, you know, for a myriad of reasons, you get a gel all over your hands. Um, you, you're gonna, you're gonna want to take care of that. So, um, those would probably be my like three must have things in my bag. If it was extended, you know, I definitely, um, I want to make sure I'm comfortable if I'm sleeping with my crew, like warm and comfort items are huge. So hand warmers or sleeping bag, um, and a camp chair. 
that's that's that that'd be the other three things I'd always make sure I have in my crewing because uh, you never know when you're going to be able to sleep and where you're going to be sleep is usually not somewhere amazing um, so you've got to be able to sleep anywhere uh, in almost any position so <laughs> for you yeah um yeah so I a battery pack is always one that I carry uh, if someone needs to charge their headlamp um, charge their watch whatever it is you can kind of just like plug it in and keep going um, Another thing are ginger chews. Uh, if, some, if stomach starts going south, um, there's something that most people can handle. You know, not everyone likes Tums, not everyone likes Pepsid, but you can always do a ginger chew. And then finally, like a puffy jacket mm-hmm. or even like a, like one of the sleeping bag blankets or something like that, because runners do get really yep. cold, um, especially, you know, when they kind of hit that like mile 60 to 80 um it's dark and they their body just isn't warming itself in the same way um you know i you just getting them wrapped up in something warm and keeping them moving um or if they need to take a nap they aren't freezing when they do it i've just found that the puffy jacket can it's bulky but it's amazing yeah i totally agree with that um and actually what i found out is it's really interesting why that happens because um our body temperature usually uh goes down when we sleep um, and so your body's in its normal rhythm when you're trying to go to sleep. So at night we, we really cool down in the cool temperatures there. Um, so you, I always tell people, even if it's a race where it's going to be a high of 45 at night, still take that puffy with you because if you have to walk, man, you're, you're just going to plummet. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest dangers, um, out there as an athlete is getting cold at night. It's it's bad. Um, and I didn't really realize how bad it could get until it got into the mid twenties at Leadville one night and, um, being anywhere, not near a fire, um, you know, in, in, in that like last, like twin lake section to outward bound, like it's cold, cold. Um, and so you need to be prepared. Like it's the middle of summer and it's a race, but you still need gloves and a hat, um, to get through that race. Well, um, yeah. I mean, there's so many things. I feel like we could do an entire episode on like crewing hacks and like all of the little things that, um, I carry in like, you know, I, I have like a bag that I take with me. Uh, maybe I'll have to, uh, post a photo, uh, at some point of like all the things I take with me. Um, but I even carry in a little Ziploc bag for those that, um, are, are game for it is I don't carry the whole stick of, um, anti-chafe. I'll like use like a a butter knife at home to like take off a layer and like put it into a small baggie. And then I just put that in my, um, in my pack. And then I always have some, whether it's like my pack is rubbing or like my shorts or something, I can take care of it before getting to that aid station or take care of that hot spot on my foot. Like if there was one piece of advice I could give to somebody is no, that hot spot on your foot is not going to go away. If you ignore it, it's going to turn into a blister and ruin your race. (laughs) Um, so many things and we can definitely, you know, please ask questions in, yeah. uh, the comments of the show and we can address them, uh, come to our Facebook page, ask the questions there and we'll, we'll get you our resources. Absolutely guys. And if you guys have a chance, if you guys enjoyed this episode or have some great, um, you know, crew hacks or pacer hacks that you love, um, we've got our lifelong endurance athlete and coaches Facebook page. 
Um, we've seen a number of you guys that have listened to the podcast that have popped in there. Um, whether you guys are just watching and seeing what we're talking about or you're actually hopping in the conversation, um, it's always the more the merrier. So feel free to hop in and join that community. Uh, it's people just like you. Uh, so feel free to hop in there uh, and, and share what, what you've had success with or if you're feeling like it, share one of your crazy stories about crewing and pacing because I went light on the stories today. Um, I think with that said, I don't know. Yeah, and hopefully by the time this episode comes out, some of you guys uh, will be in, uh, you know, getting back to running some ultras. So we are we are almost back in it. Uh, if you guys are listening to this much later down the road, we are just coming out of the pandemic uh, and, and races are finally getting back on. So you can hear the excitement in my voice. I'm getting excited to pace some races. So without further ado, we will let you guys get on with it. See you, Alexi. Bye.